Back in 2002, I wanted to do something special for my wife, Joyce, sitting here on the front row. And uh, so she had always wanted a convertible. And it was getting close to Christmas. And I decided that I would try to get her a convertible car for Christmas. That's a pretty neat idea, isn't it, guys? I knew I love convertibles, too. And there were times I would get to drive it. No, I really wanted to do that for her. So when she came home from uh, from her work uh, and raised the the garage door, there was a, a silver Camaro with the top down, the black top, and I had borrowed the big red bow that uh, uh, the Chevrolet place had down there in their showroom. When I bought the car, I said they had to go to Cincinnati and get it. So when I bought the car, I said, I need one more favor before I leave. And they said, what? I want that bow. Well, interestingly, what happened was I got it home and parked it in the garage and my phone rang and somebody said, I really need to talk to you. I said, can it wait? Nope. I need to see you now. So I jumped back in that convertible. I hated it, but I drove back to the church hoping that I would get through before she got home because I wanted to surprise her. So luckily I got it back and I backed it in. And by the way, it rained on me coming back to the house. So I had to dry it all off again, back it in, put the big bow on it. And I'd done that already one time and I did it the second time. So when she came home and raised the garage door, there was a convertible. Now, uh, that was a great car. We enjoyed that car. We would take trips on it. It was little. We we would have to put our golf clubs in the back seat because we both play golf because the trunk wasn't big enough for that and our luggage when we took trips. But one time I had a trip to Ocala, Florida. We built, We have church building program uh, that I was in it in uh, Georgia, and uh, we still are in, participating in it, guys from here. So I was headed to Ocala, so I said, you know what, I'm going to swap cars with Joyce. It's a great, beautiful weather right now. And so I threw the top down, jumped in, and I headed south, went by Savannah to see my mom and dad, jumped back in that car, went to St. Augustine, beautiful place, went to the Golf Hall of Fame. I'd always wanted to do that. I had arranged to have a package to see the museum and to play 18 holes of golf. On the driving range, I met a guy from Louisville who was a contractor who actually built Bob Russell's house from southeast in Louisville, and we played golf together that afternoon, jumped back in that car and went to Ocala. Now, that was a beautiful trip for me, but it was just for me. I was by myself. It reminded me of my friend who had a Triumph convertible, and we drove to Canada and back one summer together in the late 60s. And still, that was just the two of us, and we enjoyed it. And so what I want you to get today is this title of Let Us. I want that to ring in your ears and be implanted in your mind and your heart. Because as disciples of Jesus, there is a red line of redemption that we have to follow. It's the bloodline that God brought Jesus into the world, His bloodline. And we journey through life as disciples. And while we do, we are 
to make another disciple. And in turn, that disciple makes a disciple. And in turn, that disciple makes a disciple. And so when we think about what we're striving to do this year, about being better disciple makers, my prayer is that this message today will encourage you to absolutely do that, not just think about it, not just hear sermons about it, but do it. Because God's red line through history has been traveled by individuals whom He used to establish the redemptive plan for all of mankind. As you know, before Jesus could be born, before He could preach one sermon, before He could love anybody, before He could heal anybody, before He would allow Himself to be nailed to the cross, and then before He was raised from the dead, God had to make His plan clear. And so before Jesus, God had chosen Abraham to be the father of the Jewish nation. And then he later He chose Moses to free His children from Egypt, slavery. But not only was Moses a redeemer from slavery in Egypt, Moses was a lawgiver. And to go along with the covenant, God gave Moses the law. And the law was from God that the people would live by it. And, and the reason that the law is so important and was so good is that human beings need boundaries and limits, don't we? Absolutely we do. You get a child that's acting up, you know what that child wants? It's not that they just want their way. That's part of it. But they want somebody to say stop. They want a boundary because they've never lived on this earth before at their young age. So they need us to guide them and give them boundaries. The old covenant was important and it was very good. But the new covenant in the blood of Jesus is better. In the old covenant, they sacrificed bulls and lambs and goats to God. But you need to understand what the Bible teaches. That blood shed could not forgive sin. It would just roll the sins of the people up before them. And they would be reminded that I need God in my life. And you... If you read through those Old Testament books and you see all these rules and regulations and the, the main covenant is the Ten Commandments, you say, what, what is all that stuff about? It's about nothing but boundaries and obedience. And one of our biggest difficulties is being obedient to an Almighty God. You know that. You know what God wants you to be. You know what He wants you to believe. And you don't do it. I don't do it sometimes. See, we know the law, and you can't keep the law. How many of you can say right now, I want you to stand up and give a testimonial, that you never break a speed limit law? I do not see a soul standing up. You know why? Because we can break it. You know why we break it? We don't love the law. We don't love the lawgiver. I'll take that back. When you love the lawgiver, you obey the lawgiver. We don't like government most of the time because they're in our lives. And so we don't love them. So they put those laws, those signs up. Well, they're just a reminder. See, 
God gave these limits so that the Jewish people would be a people that he would bring Jesus into the world. That's what it was all about. Here's the thing. In Hebrews 8, chapter 6, verse, we're told that Jesus and his ministry is superior, his covenant is superior, and it has better promises. The, the lamb being sacrificed couldn't promise you eternal life. Jesus can. <laughs> the lamb couldn't make your life any better because you really just watched it and it didn't do much. But Jesus can make your whole life better. Everything you do, everything that you are about. In Hebrews 9, the 24th verse, we get a preview before the coming attraction. In fact, all through the Bible there's a preview. Moses is a type of Jesus because he went and he saved Israel. Jesus came to save us. That's a type or a copy. There's copies all through the Old Testament. Pictures, but not the reality. Get this in your mind. Copies, not the reality. God was working to bring Jesus into the world, and He would be the reality. Now listen, before GPS, we had maps. Many of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. Because when I took that trip in the 60s, did I mention that? A trip with a friend in the 60s? Okay. Okay. Help me remember where I am. His daddy was a member of the AAA club. So he ordered us a map. You flipped it like this. It was a little long map. And we told him when he ordered it, we want a line to take us up there into Canada, and we want a line to bring us back. We had a blue line up and a red line back. And we followed that. We ended up in Lexington, Kentucky at the horse farms. I have Super 8 video of man of war out in his pasture. It's cool. I don't know where it is, but I have it. <laughs> you remember the first sermon in this, in this year, Frank was taking us to Miami? You remember that, some of you? Well, if you didn't, all Frank was saying is that direction determines destination. So if you're going to Miami, you've got to go south. If you go north, you're going to New York or somewhere. Okay, so he was making a point that our direction determines our destination. So it, it matters where we're headed is the point. And so you can get a brochure of Miami and it'll tell you it'll be a copy of the reality of Miami. I've been on a cruise ship on the top deck and watched Miami just fade in the distance as we moved into the ocean. But I can mentally bring up a picture don't even have to close my eyes. But I can bring a picture up of the skyline of Miami. I can even remember a building or two. It's a copy. It's not the reality. I have a mental picture of the skyline of Atlanta. We lived there so many years. I can tell you what it looks like coming in on the airplane. But it's the copy. It's not the reality. Because it's in my brain. It's a copy. It's something I can remember. So here's the thing. Jesus in, in 9.24 of Hebrews, here's the words. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy. That's in the Scriptures. Of the true one, He entered heaven itself. When Jesus went back to heaven, that was a reality. It wasn't a copy of heaven. He went to heaven. He died. He was raised from the dead, and He went to heaven. And so He promises us that we can also do that. Christ 
preached last week about the promises of God, that He keeps His promise. Now listen, Jesus is the reality of all those copies in the Old Covenant. Verse 26, chapter 9, Jesus sacrificed Himself once and once for all. The Jews had to, the priests had to continually kill animals and sacrifice over and over and over and over again because that blood could not save. The difference in the new covenant is that Jesus' blood was given once and once for everybody that's ever lived and who will ever live. Isn't that awesome? Somebody said, well, what about those Old Testament people that were faithful to God? Well, look at that cross. One of the parabola is the one that goes this way. One of them points all the way back and picks up all of the people in the past, and the, the other one points to everybody in the future. Keep that in your mind. Now you have a picture. And when you're out driving or whatever you're doing, you see that cross up there, and you remember what I just told you about it. It's just a copy in your mind. The cross is the reality. Jesus' reality is real. And here's what he goes on to say. Once and for all, to take away sin. Not to remind you that you're a sinner, but to take it away. To bring, and here's what's going to happen. He will appear a second time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Remember that waiting word. I'm coming back to it in a moment. Why the law then? Why, why this law? Well, when Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 3, in verse 24, he says, The law was put in charge to lead us to Jesus. That's a simple answer. Everything in the Old Testament was to lead us to Jesus. Isn't that God's remarkable in how he's worked this out? And then you get to verse 26 and 27, and we read these words. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What was the old covenant about? It was about teaching people obedience. So when you read this verse, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Well, if you have enough faith in God and you claim to be his child, then you have been baptized into him. Otherwise, you haven't. You're not. That's what God's Word does. It gives us a way to get in Jesus and for Him to get in us. Frank, in one of his sermons, said this. He said, Baptism is the beginning, not the end of discipleship. Does some of y'all remember that? We don't know if y'all remember anything we preach or not. So I'm just asking. It is not the end of discipleship either. It's not the, it is the beginning, but it's not the end. And here's what happens. It is not a dunk and clunk. I, I didn't know any other way to say this. You're baptized into Christ and you clunk your bottom down in a seat every Sunday and you think you're a disciple. You think that's all I have to do. I don't have to do one more thing. I'm in. Who cares if anybody else gets in? I'm in. That is not discipleship. That is the beginning of discipleship. So if all I'm doing is dunking and clunking, 
I'm not a true disciple of Jesus Christ because I am not carrying on what he has called me to do in Matthew 28, and that is to win somebody to Jesus, to go make a disciple. You see, the red line has a bottom line. Our discipleship is our discipleship. All Christians are to make another disciple. It's not just me in a convertible. It is a tour bus. Please listen. It is a tour bus. And all kinds of people need to be in that tour bus. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter what their clothes are like. Doesn't matter what they're into. They are somebody lost. We are to make a disciple out of them. And so when we think about what Jesus has called us to do, we have to think about this. Remember, we are God's family on mission. Twelve times in the book of Hebrews. You can read the whole book, and I suggest you do it. You will count twelve times that the writer says, let us. Let us. Not let me, but let us. Which is an inclusive our discipleship. Not just mine. I I found this great quote. And... uh, I can get my paper open. It's on the back page. Listen to this. Our, our individual success comes from pursuing God together with other believers in relationship where we both receive the strength of the community and also give our strength to the community to serve and to strengthen others. We are called to encourage each other both to love and to good works, echoing the, the instructions of James that, Our faith is demonstrated by our works. Faith and love are intimately intertwined with our words. Faith results in love, and love results in good works. So we are to work together to make disciples. And you can reach people I can't reach. You know that mantra. And I can reach people you can't reach. But let us. You see, there's no I in let us. It is all of us. So how do we prepare? Well, I want to say this about verse 26. Remember I told you to remember waiting? It is not waiting, just hanging out, waiting for Jesus to come back. That waiting is an action word. That, that waiting means I am, I am sharing Jesus with other people so that they will become a disciple. I am giving them the opportunity to know Jesus by the way I live, the way I talk, I am on it. And I'm not just sitting around waiting for Him to come back. I'm waiting actively trying to win somebody else to Him. That's what the writer means. So how do we prepare? Hebrews, the 10th chapter, gives you a very great... I I want you to write that down or remember it. And we're going to start in verse 22. Here's what you need to do. You want to be prepared to win another one. Let us draw near to God. How in the world can we talk to somebody about their relationship with God if we don't have one? You can't. So we are to draw near to God. And the Bible tells us in James, if you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. You wonder why things don't go really good and why you're struggling with life? It's because you're not looking at it through God's perspective. That's exactly what it is. 
But if you draw near to God, and I mean daily, not just here on Sunday morning, but every day of your life, are you drawing near to God? And here's what he said, with a sincere heart. (laughs) Do you love people enough to share Jesus with them? Sincere love, it, it, it wins people. And then he says, and full of assurance of faith. Don't raise your hand. When's the last time you doubted your faith when it comes to God? That last bad moment when you were down and out? Where are you, God? See, we are we're roller coaster folks. All humans are. If everything's going great, me and God are great. If everything's down, where are you, God? You you get it? And so the writer says, if you want to be prepared to win somebody, you need to draw as close to God as you can. In verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We're in Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. We've got to live the life, of course, and be faithful, but... Remember, that's a beginning point. And it says, for he who promised is faithful. Let me tell you about swerving. Now, if you head to Miami and on the road, you're swerving from one side of the road to the other, what's going to happen? Ryan, what would happen if you were around? We happen to have a police officer right here. You're probably going to stop them and give them a ticket and find out if they're drinking or not or something. But you could also get distracted by your cell phone and run off the road. And if you do, you have swerved. So if we're going toward God and we allow ourselves to get distracted or we sin in our lives, that is going to be a, that's going to be a swerve. Let me tell you a true story. This lady right here, my wife, she's a court reporter by trade. She went to Bedford, Indiana one afternoon not long ago for a late deposition. The only problem with it, and she was fussing about it for two or three days, maybe a week, she had to drive after that to Atlanta to do some court reporting for our daughter down there. So here she is. What time was it? Five, six o'clock when you got away from there? Something like that. It was late. 6.30, it was dark. Cold day, frozen. Here she is heading out, and she uses Waze on her telephone, and that's a, that's a GPS thing, app. Well, Waze, have you been to Bedford? Well, she wanted to get to 65 because she was going to straight down through, you know, Louisville and down to Atlanta. I'm on the phone with her because I, I called her, she called me, and we're talking on the phone. She said, it is so dark out here on this road. They blacktopped it. It's pitch black and there's no lines on the sides, no line in the middle. And she assured me she was not speeding. And if she ever tells you that you question it two or three times, okay? <laughs> but but we're talking on the phone, guys. I got my wife on the phone and all of a sudden she's doing about fifty. She says, Oh Lord I'm saying, Joyce, what? And then I hear, whap, 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 whap. I, she's run off the road. She swerved, and I'm dying on the other end of the line. She's saying, what was you saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, Lord, don't let me stop. Because she was in a cornfield. 
And she didn't want to bog down in the middle of nowhere. And so she's giving it the gas. Oh, Lord, don't let me stop. Don't let me stop. Don't let me stop. Don't let me stop. All this time I'm hearing frap, 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 frap. Finally, she says, let me get back on. Let me get back on. Let me get back. And she got it back on the road. And it was only yards from a river. You see, God bless. She's worn out 3,000 guardian angels, I promise you. <laughs> but we praise God that she was not killed or, or hurt. She went right by a telephone pole, too, in the process. I, I am. It was a 90 degree in the road. I forgot that. It was a 90 degree turn, and she just went straight. Oh, my. But here's the thing. If you swerve, you could end up in a cornfield. You could be in the cornfield of sin. And that's the point. Verse 24. Let us again consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Are you spurring somebody? Another believer? Do you ever sit around with people of, of the family here and talk about how can we make disciples? Who did you talk to this week? What are you saying? What are you doing? Y'all, this is a proactive mental attitude that we have got to have. We are always looking for opportunities. And if we're not spurring each other on, you know what's wrong with our 21st century? We're so doggone tied up with me, myself, and I, that we can't spur anybody else on to do anything. It is always about me. And we got, if we're disciples of Jesus, it's maybe sometimes about me, but more than anything, it's about everybody that's lost. That's what it should be about. The last let us in in that I'm going to use in 20, the verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I'm not going to ask you when the last time you were in worship. I know, let's, let's check some things off. Some of you have to work on Sunday. I understand that. Do you have to be here to be a disciple? Yeah, that's debatable. God calls you to worship. This scripture says don't, don't give up meeting together. We meet together and make it a habit because it, it, it encourages us, right? One of the most encouraging things you could do for, for Frank, a young senior minister, that doesn't even go together, a young senior minister. He's a lead minister, remember that. He's already told us he can't get any discounts at the restaurants yet. So here we go. Here's the thing. You know what encourages a preacher every week? Yeah, we love to know that you're praying for us. We love to know that you help us do things, that you minister. But when every seat in here like today is almost full, what an encouragement. What an encouragement. So do not give up meeting together. Because the last part is another let us in 25. Let us encourage one another. Listen, yesterday we had almost 60 55-plus age people in that fellowship hall. And I wish you could have been there to witness the fellowship that was going on. Uh, I told them from the get-go, 
go meet somebody you don't know, talk to them. We put name tags on everybody. Y'all, uh, we had people help us, Joyce and I, we had people help us cook the meal for two days and serve it. And, and getting together matters. Being in the warmth of the fellowship matters. It prepares us to go out and make disciples of those who aren't in the fellowship. And y'all, then we have something to invite them to. You should come to this thing because it is awesome. You should be in worship with me because I try not to deny worship. And one of the worst things that's happening, they told us a, a few years ago that if we get a young couple with two or three or four kids in church twice a month, we will be above average. You know why? It's not because, you know, getting three, four kids ready for church is a chore. That is. And by the way, you can fight all the way to the church building, drop out of the car and just smile and act like nothing's wrong. Okay? That's legal. That's legal in the Christian world. But here's the thing. Sports, kids are right now in sports this morning, 8 o'clock, all day on Sunday. If parents, particularly Christian parents, would say to the higher-ups, my kid's the best player you've got, but my kid won't be with you on Sundays. And if everybody would do that, our culture would change, I promise you. I promise you. It is, it is amazing that this gets second place to a lot of things. If you have to work, and I understand that, that's great. But if you're just doing other stuff because this is the last thing on your mind, you're not ready to make a disciple of anybody. That's just the bottom line there. We are God's family on mission. A real disciple who waits on the real Jesus and makes other disciples. Let's fill a convoy of buses. Let me give you something to think about. And I'm closing. And you wondered when I would. That first tour bus is just a few of us in it, and we're headed south to Miami. I'm going to use Frank's illustration. We get down here to the border of Kentucky, and by the end, by the end of the border of Kentucky, and we hit the Tennessee border, we've got a, a full tour bus full of new disciples, maybe even two buses. By the time we get to the border of Tennessee, then as we go through Tennessee, by the time we get to the border of Georgia, we have to remember we're about to enter the promised land. But I had to throw that in. But by the time we get to the Georgia border, we've got four or five tour buses following us. And by the time we go through that long state of Georgia, which you fuss about every time. By the way, if you go through Atlanta between 1 and 5 in the morning, you're great. You won't have any trouble. But... You get to the Florida line, and now we've got a whole convoy of tour buses full of disciples. We get all the way down to Miami, and by the time we hit Miami, which is our goal, our destination, our, our direction has been that every time we move through life, through Kentucky, Tennessee, 
Georgia, and Florida that we've made a convoy that reaches all the way back to where we started in Cordon, Indiana, and it's full of new disciples. That's the vision of making disciples. And the beauty of this is we can do this. It's not impossible because we have a God that can do anything. Let me tell you a quick story. A few weeks ago, Joyce spoke at Freed from Within. It's right across the street. Freed from Within takes uh, men who have been in jail. They go through the program at Freed from Within, and they put them back into society. Joyce and I were there. She spoke. That night, we were so thrilled. They had a, a graduation ceremony for two guys. Joe and Wilson are friends of mine from over there. And we, we got to hear John Roberts give them the, the graduation speech. And at the end of it, he, he said, he asked somebody to pray. I can't remember who prayed. But in that prayer, this man said this about those two men. He said, Lord, these two men, I'm praying they will reach 100,000 people each for you before they die. Now, that may be exaggerated, but who knows? The question is, can I say I've led one person to Jesus? Not a hundred thousand, but one. Can I say I've been a disciple maker to this point in my life? It's a great question to ask yourself if you really are a serious disciple of Jesus. Because here's the thing. The law is obsolete. It was fulfilled in Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the fulfillment in Jesus, okay? The preview is over. The copies are faded. Jesus is now our pattern for living and for dying. And as long as we pattern our lives after Him, we're going to live great and we're going to die great. That's the whole point. Let me remind you of Matthew 28. Therefore, and I've added a parenthesis, let us go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. That's what God expects from us through Jesus Christ. Now, don't go home and lament that you have failed. You can... Be a person that stops waiting and starts waiting, if you get my drift. 